Welcome to Wah Wonders Why, a companion podcast too smart enough to know better. This episode is titled Wah Wonders Why, The Lost Women of Science. Listeners, straight away, right now, think of three scientists. Go. And your time's up. Who did you think of? Be honest. You're going to think of people like Albert Einstein, Isaac Newton, Galileo Galilei, Stephen Hawking, Charles Darwin, maybe Nikola Tesla. Maybe Thomas Edison, Niels Bohr, Michael Faraday. These are all very amazing scientists in their field. World leaders. But what's the thing about all of them you may have noticed? They're all dudes. Every one of them is a dude. Now, you might have been clever and gone, well, Greg, the episode is titled Lost Women of Science. I'm going to quickly come up with the female scientist I know, Marie Curie. Gotcha. Ha ha. Name another one. Name another one. Honestly, it's bloody hard. But what about Henrietta Swan-Levitt, the person who discovered the expansion of the universe, or Rosalind Franklin, who first took a photo of DNA? And there are lots and lots of other women scientists as well, but even I have difficulty coming up with them off the top of my head. But I could rattle off many, many male scientists. And this is a part of our culture that we are only starting to face now. The famous people of science are all men, or pretty much all men, and we downplay females' achievements. And it's come to a point that even today that there are female scientists, female scientists find it harder to get bigger roles, greater roles in science, and they find it harder to be recognized for their work. So I thought, let's talk to some female scientists about being a female scientist. Leading the charge in this episode called The Lost Women of Science, I thought it would be no better than to actually talk to a female scientist in, in astronomy, but also in the area of STEM and females in STEM. So please welcome to the podcast, Catherine Ross. Pause for applause. Pause for applause. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> it is me, Kat Ross. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. Thank Fa- you. Thank good. you, everyone, for having me with this wonderful welcome of applause. That was amazing. <laughs> Wherever you are, you better be clapping your hands. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be like very heartbroken. Happy if you seals. Are. Yeah. So, who are you, Catherine Ross, and, and what are you doing here? So, I am Kat Ross, a woman in STEM. Bum, bum, bum. We found them. <laughs> there they are. Oh, here it is. We found one. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I am a woman in STEM. Uh, I'm currently an astrophysicist doing my PhD in radio astronomy. I mm-hmm. Baby black holes in particular. That's so cool. I know it's really fun. But it's a baby that will kill you in the moment. Yes, and they're also it. really not that baby. They're oh. like thirty thousand light years across. Right. So it's a baby wow. in comparison. <laughs> but... It's a giant baby. <laughs> yes, yeah, right, very much so. Right. so. Uh, so I study black holes. I study galaxy evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, but most importantly, I'm an activist for women in STEM and increasing representation of women in STEM as well. Surely it's 2020, and that's all been sorted out. You would think. <laughs> Surely. You would we are well into the 21st century. We are yeah. one fifth of our way through it, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. You're saying it's not solved. Not at all. Not even remotely. Sure, it must be just a little bit at the end, like the last five percent. Well, uh, I think one of the issues is everyone was kind of like, "Oh, we we have women. You can study if you want. Mm. Therefore, we've solved that problem." Mm. Mm. And it turns out it's a lot more complex than that. There are a lot of issues that women in STEM and minorities in STEM face that 
otherwise people don't. And so it's hard to get an understanding of what those issues can be like and how debilitating they can be mm. when you just have no comprehension of what it's like. And so trying to justify fixing them is really hard because you do have to actually say, A, it is an issue, mm. and B, we should fix it, and C, I don't really have a perfect way to do that. Mm. Uh, so it's a big, complex issue. And even if you get people who want it to happen, as in men who want it to happen, mm-hmm. as in having female comp- uh, colleagues, mm-hmm. it it's also you have to take into account the fact that you say, well, but if a woman takes that job and I'm not a woman, mm-hmm. I didn't get that job. Yes. And so, and that's not a sexist thing. That's no. just a I, I also just need I also need to eat. Yeah. And so it it, it takes a quite a it's it's a big jump to go. I want to make a space for other people who will take my job potentially. Well, yeah. You're get women who are better than you. Yeah. And then be women who are worse than you. Yeah. Because everyone's average. Exactly. You know, you know what I mean? Like there saying? is a whole bell curve. Yeah. But so, realistically, when we introduce women into these fields and when we introduce women into STEM and this workforce, we don't take up the space that men should have or that men have currently yeah. or anything like that. We've colonized, we, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, like a virus. We just feel it. Look, it's what we do. We do it very well. But anyway, we do sorry. it very well, <laughs> Thank yeah. you, thank you. Uh, but what we actually do, we introduce these diversity of voices and it actually mm. increases the productivity of STEM organizations, which means that there's even more space to have even more people on board. That's good. So in the, not even long term, but mm. even in the just like, moderate term, mm. that's not actually even a problem. It's only in the immediate of my sample size of one mm. in this one job, a female got it and I didn't. Mm. And realistically, you have been bacteria. You've been hogging it for a fair while. <laughs> Let's just give a few jobs to women. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah. No, we that, can have it for just maybe a couple decades yeah, or something. <laughs> you know? We'll get in the ocean. Uh, no, look, that's, that's a good point too. It, mm. it's, not, it's, it's not a pie that gets split up in smaller exactly. and smaller pieces. The pie will grow. Exactly. And there's yes. more pie for everyone at that point. There is always pie for and, a tastier pie, which is the yeah, point. and even better, more delicious pie. pie yeah, okay. sounds yeah. like I know I just want pie. And then we make better pie yeah. because we you know from our past experience, mm. and I'm very good at eating pie. <laughs> Excellent. So I think I'd be I think, great. Uh, have we got so off track? Now? I think we're off track. <laughs> Please give me pie. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the pie podcast. <laughs> now, with women in STEM, to give an idea, in astrophysics, of uh, the organization we work for, uh, it's. Roughly one in three, I think, are women mm-hmm. in, in amongst students and researchers, but mm-hmm. only one in eight in the professorship. Mm-hmm. So it gives you an idea what's going on. And, uh, and that's actually good. Yeah, I, I, I don't for, mean, STEM, for, that's, that, yeah. for STEM fields, that's fairly good. That's actually, yeah, which is sad. Yeah, but it's, terrifying. It's, it's normally like 15% or so yeah. for women in that ballpark. Yeah, it's, it's, especially those higher higher um, professions and in, in as you go up the ladder, mm. it just drops and drops and drops. Mm. It's what we call actually the scissor graph because you see roughly around 50% of graduates for things like chemistry and biology mm. are female graduates. Mm. And then as soon as you graduate, it just diverges like a pair of scissors. Mm. And you see that men just keep going until like 80% mm. at, at the higher levels and 20% if you're lucky at, at other levels. It's, yeah. it's insane. It's, mm-hmm. it's such a massive drop-off. Now – is that because, and keeping in mind that you, I am within striking distance. Uh, and I'm, <laughs> Say this carefully. <laughs> but is, is it anything to do with the difference between men and women? Absolutely not. So there was a study done. Uh, it was about 20,000 students, and they looked at all of the grades for uh, students, both men and women, and they looked to see, is there any discrepancy between these grades? Mm. And what they found, shocker, not a single difference in mm. grades. Wow. But when you ask women to judge how they're performing in classes and how their grades are going, they will more often than not way underestimate 
how well they're doing Mm -hmm. and men will way overestimate how they're doing. (laughs) But realistically, they're actually getting the same grades. Mm. Uh, And a lot of that comes from some of the complex issues that women face that just men don't have the same uh, exposure with. We just don't even see it. Exactly. So things like imposter syndrome, but also self-efficacy, which is sort of a measure of how students can evaluate their skills, set achievable goals, and then work towards achieving those goals. Men have great issue, no issue, that was bad English. (laughs) Men have no issue, generally speaking, with setting those goals and achieving them because they can just look around and picture themselves at every single step of the way. Yeah, because you see yourself. Exactly. You're everywhere. I can can look around society and people who look from Remarkably like me, yeah. with grayer hair uh, <laughs> and more wrinkles, yeah. normally have those roles. And so you can easily picture yourself in future being yeah. there. Yeah. Whereas women look around and they're like, okay, there's three girls in my class. Mm. I look up, I see one professor, which means that mm. I have to be the best mm. to be able to make it. Do I feel like the best? Mm. Obviously not. No one ever does. And so you think that you're not capable of it and you underestimate your values. Mm. Or you sit there in first year and you expect to be at the level of a professor because that's the only role. Mm that you have mm. obviously that's unrealistic unachievable you're an idiot in first year no mm. offense first years but surprise, you're idiots, you're no, idiots. No, no 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 i, I don't ask their their uh their forgiveness they're idiots yeah they are they're idiots there you go sorry they, to break it to you they're the worst yeah really bad i've been there so <laughs> i can say it <laughs> that's <laughs> and i'm only i'm not even through my first year of my phd so i'm still an idiot speaking uh but there you go so they look up and they're like, oh, professor, there we go. Yeah. I, I'm, I should be at that level. And you're just – you're not going to be yeah. at all. Yeah. Is it uh, – what, what else So what else is stopping women from, from taking these roles? Is it things like – I always wonder if it's things like, well, women uh, – society says that normally the women will be the caregiver of children. And mm-hmm. a lot of women will have children. Well, I mean obviously more than men. But what I mean is in, in general mm-hmm. and therefore they go out of, the care, out of their career and it's hard to get back in. Therefore, yeah. they're going to be – 10 years behind a man of the same age because a man, if, as a, if I had a partner with a child, no one would expect me to give my career up. Mm-hmm. I, paternal, paternal. And they don't say that, where are your children? Yeah, I, I no. mean, I get asked, when are you going to have your kids? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not even in a relationship. No, yeah, oh, yeah. That's, that's so weird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no one would ever ask me. Yeah. I mean, I'm, a, I'm a man in my 40s and I don't have children yeah. and no one questions that. I'm only 25 and I've been asked multiple times yeah. during my occasionally, career. Yeah. Occasionally other men will, uh, mm-hmm. men who don't know me, occasionally just like, to start a oh. conversation because they they're trying to find an equal point. And yeah. they'll, they'll where, go, do we, where do we cross? Where, yeah. so, so how many kids do you got and how old are they? That's it. No woman will ask and no one professionally will ever ask. Yeah. No, no one cares. Yeah, exactly. And that's just not the experience that I have. That's, and that's madness. So yes. Really, you get people asking about I, your yeah, children. I've, I've had multiple people say, you're heading into your PhD. You should think about whether or not you should be doing this because – you'll be having kids and you have to plan about when you have your kids. And I'm like, ha joke's on you. Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, and you get, and Oh, that's so frustrating. Yeah, that's yeah. sorry. I, I'm frustrated for you because yeah. I know people people we work with who are uh, women mm-hmm. with children, mm-hmm. and they're they're still um, badass and amazing. And they're still and they're in fact I'm going to go out and say they're some of the best scientists who we work with. Yes, so, <laughs> and they have multiple children. Yes, and I'm angry again about because I'm not going into the specifics of it, but I'm very angry. Yes, I mean likewise. I'm always very <laughs> angry about this. But there's a there's a whole different. Uh, set of issues. There's a lot of explicit things of, mm. you know, externally, things applied to women. For example, people saying, when are you having your kids? Mm. All the time. Uh, and that's an external factor I, that's influencing on the woman. Sorry to interrupt there. Just no, to, yeah. just to p- put a pin in that. Classic th- man interrupting me. <laughs> oh, God, I can never get a word in, that's honestly. Fair. That's fair. Look, no one can get a word in when I'm around. It's got him! Not, it's, <laughs> a, it's not a gender thing. That's just, that's just a Greg just a thing. Greg. That's a Greg thing. I'll just keep talking about it. But with um, talking about 
um, with the, the children thing as well, it, it, you could also not get a PhD because of it. You may mm-hmm. just go, well, you're a childbearing woman. And therefore, I will give it to this man mm-hmm. who I'm likely to keep for three years and, mm-hmm. and we'll do a lot of work I don't want to give you this job because you're just going to leave yeah, me to have children. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. that's a that's, – that's a, I mean, that's a straight-out sexism. Yes. Yeah. And, and, um, but people can but unconsciously think hard that. To yeah, prove it. exactly. So if you said you didn't pick me because they go, well, no, I didn't pick you because of blah, blah, and blah. This guy is also appropriate. And that's often the case yeah. is that – both of you can be equally, you know, fine for the position mm. um, and just unconsciously people will select the male, mm. including females. If you have panels of mm. men and women assessing uh, how good people are. In fact, there was a study done in the US. They sent out, I think it was about 10,000 identical resumes, <laughs> identically everything the same uh, and just sent male and female. And they found out that people not only found men more hireable, they offered them more career mentoring, on average $5,000 U.S. more for a starting salary, mm. and they were believed to be more competent at their job. Mm. Mm. Identical things, like identical applications. So more mm. often than not, women have to be better than the man just to get the same job, yeah. uh, just because of all these unconscious biases. And it is incredibly hard to prove because, yeah, a lot of the time you're like, both are fine. Mm. We can choose whoever. Uh, and people will choose who is like them a lot of the time. That's yes. And at yeah. the moment we still have a lot of men yeah. who are making these decisions. People people that's the thing, it's not it's not even it's not even I guess it is sexism. I'm trying to work out if it's yeah, I guess it's, it is. It's sort of an internalized You want to yeah. you want someone who's like you because yeah. you feel comfortable with people who are like you. Mm-hmm. And so if you pick if you're an older white man, you're gonna pick a younger white man. Yeah. And and so you you're not gonna get people of colour and you're not gonna get women. Yeah. And until you work with women and you work with uh, people of colour, then, then you start you're comfortable picking, with them and then you can start Picking them more, yeah, yes, yeah. And, and you have to break. You have to think that you have to go. It's it's. And it's not that you're a bad person. Sorry, yeah. it's not that you're a bad person. No. It's like I always try and say to people and myself, I'm not a. I just just this is the culture I swim exactly. in. I am aware of the culture. I will try to change it, mm-hmm. but it's not that I'm evil. And if no. someone says, oh, "Do you know this bias?" I'm not saying, "And by the way, you're Hitler." Yes, exactly. That's not <laughs> what I'm saying at all. Yeah, everyone, including myself, has these biases. Mm. Like we're in a society that is heavily gendered and mm. really forces these strict rules mm. on genders mm. from such a young age. So to be getting to the stage that you're at, if you are a professor hiring mm. people, to then try and work past your entire life experience. And mm says, no, this is the way only, that's incredibly hard. So it's not, yeah, it's not the individual person's fault. Mm. It is the society that we live in. Mm. Don't take it personally. Exactly. Not all men. (laughs) Hashtag not all men. That's it. My favorite. That's what we're saying now. Yes. Uh, It it is, and also you have to remember for for any professors listening to this, which Mm -hmm. is probably not. Please hire me. Please (laughs) (laughs) hire Cat Ross immediately. Me, just throw me a bunch. Whatever, it doesn't matter. He's just a man. I'm another guy. I'm another guy. But it's, Wait, I had a point there. Ah, um, it, 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 even professor. Oh, yes, if you're a professor, you're very clever in your very small area of study. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you're clever across all areas of study, mm-hmm. and you may not understand genetic, uh, gen, genetic, gender politics at all, exactly. or all this whole area. Yeah, and you may go, well, I'm, I know everything that to know about galactic evolution. That's great. Therefore, I know everything about everything. No, and, and that's the. That's uh, the, not that that's does the, one does not equal two. No, that, no, it doesn't. And and I found that with clever people, sometimes you go. It's you really are, hard to see where you don't. Yeah, have the experience and where you don't where you 
not clever in all yep. areas. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you, you blind yourself to it exactly. a little bit. You can, anyway. You can, yes. So let's stop talking about men. Women in STEM podcast. I've done it again. Well done, Greg. But so you mentioned imposter syndrome. So what is imposter syndrome? So imposter syndrome is kind of already in the name. It's a feeling that you are an imposter in your field, that you don't belong. And most importantly, you're going to be found out and kicked out of your program. So you kind of live in this constant fear that someone will find you, realize that you're not meant to be there, and then get rid of you. Ask you to leave. Exactly. Be like, what, <laughs> what, Greg, what, no one asked for you here? What, leave? You've had a nice year, but now get out. Yeah, please, basically. Yeah. Um, and so it's this, it's this constant <laughs> feeling that you're, you're already not meant to be here, which means that most of your mental effort is just trying to justify to yourself, mm. I belong here, this is okay, uh, and then the rest of the time you can spend on your work. But that's already 50% of your mental effort, you know, at least mm. gone just from you being like, it's okay, I'm meant to be here. Now I'll do my research. Whereas people without imposter syndrome can just be like, oh, time to do your research, that's fine. Mm. Uh, so it means that your research can dramatically suffer. You can also see effects from things like if you are um, uh, doing work and, or an assignment and you get back a result, if you get a bad mark, that is justification. That's uh, it's, it proves everything you're worried about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it says that, no, you don't belong to be here. Look at this bad mark that you got. And I've already mentioned that women already underestimate mm. how well they're doing. Mm. So realistically, you can get an average mark and be like, oh, that's not good enough. Mm. Um, mm. Or I'm not as good as I thought. I came second in the class and I was like, wow, why am I so bad at this? And it took me a while <laughs> to realize there's only one person better. Like, you're really not bad at you're doing, this. You're fine. You're yeah. doing okay. But the imposter syndrome, it doesn't make sense. Like, you, yeah. once you hear the thoughts that come from imposter syndrome and you recognize it for what it is, you're like, wow, that's silly. Mm. It makes no sense. Mm. But it's, you know, in the moment, it's really hard to identify and realize that that's what's happening. And you really need people around you who can, who are on the same page to mm-hmm. go, that was imposter syndrome. You just said that thing yes. you just said then. That you sucks. just said that's not true. Yeah. But even so, that relies on you saying uh, and being open to other mm. people saying, oh, wow, I got a really bad mark or I did really bad, mm. I don't belong to be here, which then gives people the opportunity to be like, yeah, you're right, you don't belong to be here. Yeah. It makes them, you know, yeah. recognize you and, and kick you out, mm. which is a fundamental oh, flaw of the imposter syndrome. That's what you're Ooh, worried about. God, that's, so that's a hard one. even just being open to say, I have imposter syndrome is a huge step. Mm. Uh, but once you've made it, so I, I struggle a lot with it and I, I did silently for so many years. I almost dropped out of physics multiple times wow. because I just, yeah, I'm not good enough to do this. Why would I want to do this? Um, and I by no means think of myself as the best of the best. Mm. I embrace my averageness in a lot of ways. <laughs> uh, I do things very well and I do things not well at all in mm. other ways. Um, but embracing that side of it and then talking to people about your averageness mm. is a really great step to realize that, oh, imposter syndrome is a thing. Mm. And when I heard it for the first time, it was kind of like a light bulb. I was like, I thought these thoughts were just real. Mm. But it's not. Mm. It's, it is just a, a symptom. It's, it's that whole, I think many humans get it, uh, but it's going to affect women a lot more, mm-hmm. I think, than it affects men. I think many yeah. people get it. But once again, I'm not talking about syndrome, once again, a man thing. on a No, but men can still have imposter syndrome. syndrome. Yes, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's whole... just you're much more likely if you're a minority. Yes. Because yeah. you already see that there's no one like you in this field. Yeah. So you probably shouldn't be here either. Why, why, yeah, why yeah. should? Yeah, yeah. It, it, so basically it's like a, um, a force multiplier on the back. Yeah. You think you're this bad and this will make it even worse. Exactly. And just drops it to the floor. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's, yeah. A, that's a problem. Mm. Is it the only problem? That's it. Solved? Are we done? <laughs> yeah, if we just fix that. Yeah. Just basically tell lots of women that they're great, they should be there. Yeah, just lots of wholesome content yeah, yeah, so, all yeah. the time to yeah. women. First of all, you should always do that because that's amazing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. pride myself on my ability to give wholesome content to all my friends. <laughs> and I have a group of women that when I am like, oh, no, they're like, wholesome content. And they 
just bombard you with it for hours. It's phenomenal and very helpful. Uh, Good, but excellent. alas, that does not solve everything, uh, sadly. No, again, Why, it is really easy. complex. Yeah. Uh, oh, so there's also issues like stereotype threat, mm. uh, which essentially if you are told that there is a stereotype that you know this particular stereotype can't do well at physics, mm. then you just straight up believe it. And mm. if you're a member mm. of that stereotype, mm. you can literally see your grades drop when you're told of that stereotype. Mm. So if you ask oh. women to fill out whether you are male, female, or other mm. in a in a form, and you're you know not a male, mm. you're ticking these boxes. You're kind of literally reminded, oh, that's right, I am this category, and this category doesn't do well here. Yeah. And you can see the affecting grades. It's, so it's not even just an internal feeling; uh, it's a measurable effect. That's incredible. I, as a teacher, uh, it's a teaching high school. I saw it so many times with young women. And thinking uh, so many times, more with women saying maths, you mm-hmm. just go, oh, I can't do maths. Mm-hmm. I can't do maths. A I'm grade, so bad at this. A grade 10 it. girl, grade 11 girl. Mm-hmm. I can't do high school girl. I can't do maths. So you're like, why can't you do maths? Mm-hmm. And, and they're like, no, you're doing fine. Uh, or, or, you've literally just done maths on this page. Yeah, yeah. What's, why? And they are oh, this blah. And you go, and normally like, now my question is, who, who screwed you up? Mm-hmm. Let us find the teacher that made this issue. In that you. told you and you can't. It, and it's a man. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm just going to say. It's there's a, a, there's it, always a very good chance that someone at some point in the career of a woman in STEM has literally said that. Someone has told me, mm. I came first in a class, mm. and they're like, well, that's average. Ah. It's like, by definition, <laughs> not average. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also did incredibly well in a different subject, and they were like, I know that's just because the guys in your office helped you get that mark. And I was like... Well, actually, I helped them get their marks. Actually, I was uh, that's much ins- more invested in it. Yeah. So it can be really explicit as well. That's insane. There's, yeah. normally, so there's that person. So you you had the, the support or the mm-hmm. gumption or whatever it is to push through this garbage. I had the shameless uh, revenge <laughs> motive. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily a, I, will, I don't know that I believe you. I will you. find you. It I was, will I you. am going to prove you yeah. wrong in every way. Yeah, yeah. But it shouldn't have to be that. Exactly. That only means that means only certain types of women will get it's, into I it. I only got this way because when yeah. he said that, I was there to be like, screw you. Absolutely not. Yeah. But as soon as, if you're, if you're struggling with your imposter syndrome mm. and it could be a particularly bad day, someone says that to you, you're going to be like... Yeah, and then yeah, you, I and you don't can find something easier. Exactly. Yeah, you, so yeah, something so, that oh. I, as a woman, am good at because I'm a woman. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Let me go do this lower paid job because all female dominated jobs are paid less. And it, well, this this that's I, another separate issue. The, the, but, look, yeah. it's it's a, it is an issue. I discovered mm-hmm. that one because I did work in fe- teaching as a feminized mm-hmm. industry. Mm-hmm. Worked in libraries and that librarians a feminized industry. Mm-hmm. And I was talk, talking to my male colleagues, not in in different friends, yep. I should say, in other industries. Going, mm-hmm. wait, I'm earning less than you. Oh, that's right. I work for women. Oh, I remember. Women, women's in vertical. Yes. Industries. Yes. I was just like, oh, this is yeah. my first att- my, my first experience of it. Going, oh wait, this is a real thing. It's really horrible. And, it, yeah. and you're like, and it's affecting me now. Yeah. Right? Oh god, but I am mad. But I'm a man. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. It, it, you can even see it. Like, if you look at the wages for um, IT and computers, mm. uh, so when they were first established, it was believed to be kind of a receptionist's job. So therefore, a woman's job, <laughs> oh and it doesn't require much <laughs> mental arithmetic oh. because reception also doesn't require much mental work. Yes, and so we won't pay you much. Yeah, uh, right. because you could just add it on to whatever you're doing already. Mm-hmm. It is unimportant. I'm getting me coffee or exactly, it's, it's basically letters. the same. Yeah. Yes, um, you don't need any you know technical knowledge to be able to do this. Yep. So they didn't pay them very well, uh, and then surprise, IT became very important. 
Uh, and so they changed and it became slowly more male dominant because they were like, this mm. is important. We need mm. more people in it and we need smart people. So get these men in get, the room immediately. Get as many men as we can. Yeah, basically. So it became Jesus. more and more a male-dominated field. <laughs> and you can see as it becomes more male-dominated, so does the average salary increase. <laughs> and you see the inverse for things like um, teaching, for things yeah. like nursing. Yeah, 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 nursing. My God. Yeah, that's the – that's insane. Yeah. We it's, just value things less uh, if they're done by women. Th- yeah, th- absolutely true. Yeah. I have a friend of mine who works for a major tech company. I won't say which one. Uh, she works, she's a very high-up engineer. Basically, mm-hmm. if you if you use the internet, you use her products, basically. Right. But, like, I see. One of those companies. Unspoken name, yes, but, but you th- use yes, it. You tr- yes. And without her, you wouldn't have the internet access and stuff that we have today. Right. Uh, amazing engineer. And she, she realized she was earning a lot less than her colleagues. All, all dudes, because she's like one of the only women at her level. Yep. And she went into her boss and was like, what, Hey, what what's the hell this? is this? And, and to their credit, to this company's credit, he looked at it and went, Oh, God, you're right. Like, I'm so sorry. I'd never noticed this. But I'd, it requires someone to say. Yeah. And, and he had, she had a good boss, and he, mm-hmm. he, um, not only increased her pay to the the median of all the men, so she mm-hmm. got the average of all the men who were there. He backpaid her oh. for five years, so oh. she, she suddenly got like she suddenly got like a hundred thousand dollars in yeah. her account. She's like, oh my god! But she, that's weird and rare. Yeah, very, super very rare. rare. And yeah. it's because losing her would lose them a lot. Mm. She is. So she has so much power. Yeah, that's why she wasn't. She wasn't swinging that around, by the way. She was just. But they realized. Yeah, she. They knew. Please don't ever leave us. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But they also a good boss. But Mm -hmm. if if you if you have an average boss or a bad boss or one who's not aware, Mm -hmm. they're not going to do that. They're certainly not. And even so, that's that's a a a one person case. Yes, trying to justify that for all women, Mm. it becomes much harder because there's not the emotional connection. There's Mm -hmm. not that realization that this individual is invaluable. Mm. But women in the workforce are invaluable, Mm. and so paying them evenly, paying them equally. Is incredibly important. Yes, of course. And yeah. it's, to me, that's like a. It's, it's a no, common sense. It's a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah, it's common sense to me. <laughs> Freaks me out. A lot of feminism for me is just common sense. Yeah. But a lot of the feminism that I have to do is mm. literally explaining why it's common sense because yeah. people are like, "What? No!" And I'm currently running a campaign, and most of my campaign isn't there actually doing the work to get the campaign done, mm. but justifying why it's needed in the first place. It's madness. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get to your campaign later mm-hmm. on because I'm still in so – you're talking about uh, implicit and explicit biases as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So as in – so we, we talked a little bit about these explicit biases before in stereotypes. Right? Yeah. So it, it's not even that you were explicitly going, I don't like women. Yes. You are bad because you are woman. Yeah. It's explicit. Just, it's just that you that, – as you said, men and women will actually – Men and women, which freaks me out as well, yeah. will will internalize this idea that a mm-hmm. woman is not the right person for the job yes. compared to a man. Yes. So that's why the implicit of even uh. just you ticking your name of, yeah. oh, I am a female in STEM. Uh, but implicitly, you know that that's a bad stereotype. So you're like, oh, bad. I do bad now. But if you literally <sighs> also go to a woman, hey, you're a woman. You're bad. They're going to be like, oh, I'm a woman. I'm bad. And yeah. they're bad. Yeah. So, uh, and you could, yeah, you can see this effect. So, this study was done in, in 2013, and it literally measured the effects of women. Um, sorry, the effects of women. It's always amazing. Um, the, the effects of implicit and explicit um, statements in class about women in STEM. Mm. Uh, so even implicitly, you can be only mentioning male examples. Mm. Um, mm. And that's a, it's a really big thing in finance. Uh, women were often used as examples when they lost money. And men were used as examples 
when they made money because it is known that women don't understand money. Are you kidding That's me? a thing, yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah. Well, thank goodness in, in the sciences, I mean, we don't have that problem at all. There's because none of us have money. What I meant is there's lots and lots of female um, um, role models for, yes. for young women to follow. Yes, yes. <laughs> Who have money and can get money. <laughs> but the, the thing, that's the issue, though, is not, though, is it? There's, this is the big problem in science. Is, mm-hmm. Well, they're there. As, as I said at the start of the podcast, uh, listeners, name of female scientist. Mm-hmm. Name one. Just name one. Name one who's famous. And so, it's bloody hard. There's, I, I, I often ask this, and mm. about 99% of the time, you'll get Marie Curie. Yes. Deserving, to be fair. Absolutely. Total badass. Mm-hmm. Literally created a field herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, won two Nobel Prizes in two different fields. Mm. Phenomenal. Could have been done one other time before, I think. She was the first woman to have ever done it, uh, mm-hmm. to win a Nobel Prize, and the first person to mm. win the two Nobel Prizes. Well, there you go. Okay, yeah. wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so phenomenal. Yes. Just all around phenomenal. Yeah. Um, now name someone else. Yeah, and, and most people just sit there and they're like, yeah. um, the up- does my science teacher yeah. <laughs> Yes. a scientist? Yeah. 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 It's, it's incredibly difficult. And that's simply because it's not they're not there. Mm. Women have and continue to be really crucial to developments in STEM and our understanding of the universe. Mm. But the visibility of them isn't there. Mm. And all through history, a lot of the science that was done by women was never attributed to the women. Mm-hmm. Uh, because unfortunately, to be able to do science, you often had to have a um, – very progressive and loving either father, brother, mm. um, or, or husband mm. who could do that for you, which often meant you had the same last name as them, mm-hmm. and so the male would get the credit because mm. they're like, there's no way that this Herschel. woman has Herschel. done it. Herschel. Exactly. Herschel. It's the perfect example <laughs> yeah, yeah. that, to be fair, now I'm so far, I'm like Carolyn Herschel. Yes. I know it. Yes. And then I try and think of her brother, and I'm like, oh, gosh, <laughs> well, I've, I've well, just swung too far but down all, the other But side. also, it, it, that's also good, but you just go, I do the same thing but because he's Herschel. She's Carolyn Herschel. That's true. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I it's see. A, so she gets the she gets the modifier to mm-hmm. Herschel. He's the name. Yeah, Herschel, Herschel. is the thing, and yeah. then it's the man. And then the and girl then there's version. also this other version here yeah. with the extra which, which tag thought, on to I specify. That, yeah, yeah. Not, not the real Herschel. The not Carolyn the real one. Herschel, the other Herschel. Yes. Which is which is the yeah. Which, it's it's a thing in your head. Yeah, uh, and it's bloody hard. So. Yeah. This is also unrelated, well, related, but in my personal experience, this is not a study, I always find when we write about female scientists, we always refer to them with the first name as well. Mm -hmm. And often that is because the last name, Herschel, Mm. people will immediately jump to the brother and not Mm -hmm. to the sister. Mm -hmm. Um, So I see the reasoning, but it always annoys me. I'm like, Mm. no, they're like Professor so-and-so, you know, and it's never never referred to that way. Well, like the recently the Vera Rubin Observatory. Mm -hmm. And and so it's the Vera Rubin Observatory, which is amazing. Vera Rubin deserves to be picked. It's not the Rubin Observatory. Yeah, because you need to say it's Vera Rubin. Yes, so because go, she's a woman, so she has woman. to have her whole name. To, yeah. yeah, and I guess we've got to reach that point where that's going to change. Uh, yes, uh, yeah, it's eventually, but, and, and I think we're working towards it. Mm. Simply attributing science to the women who actually performed it and did it mm. is a huge step already. Is that happening well in uh, on an education level? So in <laughs> textbooks and things like that. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Sadly not. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, and it, it all comes from that unconscious bias. So a lot of times people will, you know, learn physics and then go and write this textbook about it. And they've been learned this gendered representation of science. And so they put that into the textbook mm. because it's not 
you never think, oh, I have to include the women. I'm just teaching science. Mm, That's all mm, it is. Mm, and so yeah. you were taught science and you taught Maxwell, Einstein. Yeah. Blah, 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 yeah. Blah. And so textbooks will often have these little excerpts about Maxwell, mm. about Einstein, all of this stuff. Um, and whenever the mm. science is done by a man, you attribute it to the man because that was what you were taught. And it's just your unconscious bias propagating. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you actually look at what is being taught, there is so much science in there that's being done by women, mm. but we just never attribute it. When the science is done by a man, we learn of the scientist and the science. Mm. But if it's done by a woman, the scientist is just completely it's just, anonymous. It's just magical science. Yeah, it just appeared. appeared. Yeah. Someone opened a door and they were like, here is this explanation. Here's some, here's some science. Oh, thank yeah. you, oh, person okay. in a hood we never met. <laughs> yes. yeah, it's, okay, so that's, is that something that is being looked at to change? By myself, yes. This is my campaign that I'm currently running is to fix that. Uh, And yes, we can fix that with textbooks, but I've decided to go a step sort of further in so that I can address textbooks, but also what's actually happening in the classroom. Mm. So I'm currently running a campaign in New South Wales uh, from WA, which is incredibly frustrated and fraught with errors. I get calls at 6am frequently now, which is incredibly annoying. New South Wales, please, there are other people in this yeah, country. And, Just and be aware. We live on a round planet. Exactly. Time's always time Times zones. are different. So the pl- yes. Our country is one-tenth of the way around the planet. Exactly. We're one-tenth from them. <laughs> one-tenth of the way of the planet. It's, it's insane. It's the, big, the, please. The circumference of the planet. Yeah. So that's kind Ugh. of frustrating, yes. Mm. Uh, but originally I'm from New South Wales and I actually started um, about two years ago or so now. I was working with a research group and uh, New South Wales introduced a new physics course. And obviously being my background and my research group I was a part of, we were looking at the ways that we can teach this physics course to the teachers Mm. so that when Mm. they teach it to the students, it's more effective. Um, So what teaching methods can they implement? Uh, What ways can they do the experiments? But also teaching them the topics that haven't been included in the syllabus for 15 some years or Mm -hmm. so. Uh, And that was all well and good until my colleagues and I were going through it literally dot point by dot point, Hmm. figuring out how can we teach this. Uh, And someone looked and they were like, radioactivity. So Mary Curie's not in here. And (laughs) she literally invented it. So you kind of think that she may crop up somewhere. Yeah. Surely. Seems odd. But no. So she didn't get a little sidebar. She she doesn't get a sidebar. She doesn't even get like Curie's work on such and such. Because I think she's one of the few people or the few women where you can say Curie and your instinct is Marie Curie. You're not going to pick Pierre. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Pierre, right? Marie Curie. (laughs) Pierre Pierre did a good work. Yeah, sure. But Marie Curie. But Marie Curie. No, no, you're right. It's Curie. And you're right. You would say Einstein's work of relativity. Exactly. Or Newton's work with gravity. Yes. You would definitely use those you terms. always use those terms, yes, yeah. but it's, it's never Curie's work of. No. Uh, and so she just wasn't mentioned. And we were like, that seems so kind of hard to teach weird. radioactivity without Marie Curie. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that it's not happening, but it puts all the responsibility on the teachers mm. to be able to do that work to get the background, know who did the science, mm. and mm. then introduce it in the classroom. Yep. A lot of physics teachers in New South Wales aren't actually physics trained. They're out of field and they're just teaching the syllabus yep. as it is in the document, yeah. which means... It's unlikely that Curie is going to be included. Us physics teachers are very rare. Very <laughs> We're pretty people. amazing. Yeah, I'm just saying. Basically should, a unicorn. You yeah. should hire us more and pay us more money. Uh, yes, I'm just saying. Which is true. <laughs> uh, but then we kept looking. We're like, Mary Curie's not in there. Also, more like, f- female physics teachers, for God's sake. Give sakes. them more. For God, no, seriously. I mean, I love being a physics teacher, but they, they, everyone looked like me. And, and I was a younger man then. Now they looked more like I do now. Like only 40 <laughs> to 50 year olds. You were the odd one out. I was, was, young, I was yeah. a younger. But now it's, it is lots of, it's lots of middle aged and older dudes. It's yeah. lots of dudes near the end of retirement. It's so weird because no yeah. one's going into it. You can have female physics teachers. Please do so. Uh, yeah. Know, yes. My rant is over. That's fine. That was an important rant. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. That's right. Very, <laughs> I really appreciate it. So after we noticed Mary Curie wasn't in there, uh, I went through the entire physics 
document, the mm. entire 60-odd pages. I read through every single word mm. and I counted the number of scientists in the syllabus mm -hmm. for physics and I found there were 26 men mm -hmm. and a total of zero women. That's a low number of women. It's a very low number of women. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Zero. Zero women. Zero women. Zero women. I, I did a handy pie graph for people. Unfortunately, <laughs> it is a podcast, so I can't show you. But you can make one at home. Yep. If you draw a circle, mm -hmm. you, have, you have completed you, a pie graph of it, yes, men and women. Men. <laughs> Congratulations. That's insane. Yes. Didn't and the, the women, the, the men that were mentioned, yep. were mentioned over 50 times. Right. So not even just oh, once there was, every now and then. Oh, there wasn't 22nd mentions. There was, there was 26 men, men mentioned over 50 times. Oh, my goodness. And 30% of those mentions were not even compulsory. So mm. students didn't actually need to learn of it. It was mm. just a nice add-on. Mm. So there's mm. uh, paragraphs at the beginning of each topic where they just introduce the topic and yeah. contextualize it for students, oh, which well. is incredibly important. Yeah. But there as was a, literally... As a human endeavor kind of concept. Exactly, but, yes. Yeah. Uh, but there's literally a sentence that's like, in the 17th century, there were many scientists from Newton to Maxwell. First of all, not true. Yeah. That's the wrong time period for yeah, one of them. The, yeah, yeah, and, yes, it is. Uh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. secondly... Why not just put a woman's yeah, name in yeah, there? Yeah. But no, no, they're only ever men. That's in Okay, that's, yeah. I didn't realize it was zero. I didn't realize it was it's that. zero. That's insane. But the problem is also bigger than that. I uh, then, for a love of reading syllabus documents, which mm. are renowned for being incredibly interesting, <laughs> uh, I then continued to read uh, about eight different STEM courses in New mm. South Wales. So biology, physics, chemistry, investigating science, science extension, mm -hmm. uh, a whole range of them in all the different fields available. And I found that there was give or take, about 80 men. Mm -hmm. uh, and now this number is difficult to, to say. So 80 men, male mm -hmm. scientists, mm -hmm. and four women, mm -hmm. but two of those women were cartoon characters. <laughs> what? Yes. Wh wh why? Which cartoon characters? Uh, specifically Edna Krabappel and Maggie Simpson. They're not scientists. They're not even scientists. They didn't even pick Lisa Simpson, the scientist. Yes. They, they picked yes. Edna Krabappel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's and a Maggie teacher. Maggie Simpson. She's who a teacher. Can't speak. One's a baby and one's a teacher. Yes. And she, I don't think she's a scientist who became a teacher. I think she's no, just a. No, she's just a teacher who's disenfranchised with worlds. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. Likewise, Edna, to be honest. But yes. <laughs> yeah. So there are, there are two cartoon characters, Simpsons characters. Good. Uh, How many cartoon men were there? Uh, none, shockingly. Not, they were no, they were no real cartoon men. men. Yeah. They, they, they were all real men, real look, male scientists. I'm hoping against hope they were like, oh, we've only got two women. We've got to get more women. Oh, just put in some cartoons. <laughs> done. Look, that, that, well, they're only included because a male scientist <laughs> published under their pseudonym because he was publishing pseudoscience. Oh, God. So we'll say a woman did it because then it's fine. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So it's really not great. It's no, really, it's no, pretty no, dire. No. That's pretty, and yeah. that's, that's what we're teaching to kids. That's what we're Australia. teaching to New South Wales students. Yeah. They will see as many cartoon characters as they will female <laughs> scientists. Uh, and that's assuming they take every single course. Yeah. But oh, the, yeah, yeah. This, this is the majority of them. The only two female scientists are in investigating science. And right. so, uh, sorry, investigating science and science so extension. So Marie Curie would be one of them. Marie Curie yes. is in investigating science. Good. And uh, Bar Barbara McClintock. Is in science extinction. I don't, I, don't, I don't know who Barbara McClintock is. I'm sorry. You're dead to me. I know. <laughs> I'm not to be honest. No. What, what did Barbara McClintock she's, do? She's uh, a geneticist, so oh, she also won a Nobel Prize. She's incredible. Oh, bloody um, hell. It's just shame on you. It's also, it's also not real science. It's just oh yeah, it's just, just biology, DNA, just, just genetics. It's just, I think, yeah. biology. It's just, it's, yeah, it's whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> you can write all your angry emails to Greg at smartenup.org. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so Barbara McClintock is included. Fantastic. Right. Marie well, Curie, again. Yep, good. She shares her dot point with Henry Becquerel, which, like... Yeah, really great. She, she should get her own. I think oh, she I kind know. of invented the bloody thing, as yeah. you said. So and She's you, not even included in any radioactivity-related thing, though. She's, she's included in investigating science to look at, like, how she worked as a scientist. Very important. Yeah. But also, let's just say that the science that she did was hers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not hard. It's, and it's not – yeah, it's, it's so strange. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing if you've taken this to the, the regular bodies, the regulatory bodies who control the stuff, they all went, oh, my God, thank you very much for bringing this up to us. And that will instantly change everything. I uh, probably naively thought that that would be the case. <laughs> um, I actually started this all with a Twitter rant, uh, shameless plug. You can follow me at uh, astro uh, dot – sorry, astro underscore Cat Ross. Mm-hmm. with a K, astro underscore Cat Ross. Uh, I started this with a Twitter thread and I basically said – hey, New South Wales education, like, that's really not very good. Mm. Um, it's a new syllabus. It's 2019, or it's actually 2018 at that time. Mm. Uh, it's 2018. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> we can do better than that. Yeah. And the fact that you're introducing a new syllabus, you have this opportunity to really be a leader in this mm. and, yeah. and create sort of the standard for everyone and in Australia. And it will cost nothing. And it will cost nothing. Yeah. You're already undergoing a review. I think yeah. it's a really perfect time. Mm. Uh, they also, uh, the group that I was working with at the time, we went through the syllabus and we noticed that all the equations were wrong. So we made a document that was like, you should probably fix a lot of these equations. This is what we recommend. This mm. is why what you have is wrong. Mm. And they basically fixed it immediately. Oh. So I was like, great. I, I am telling you this is wrong. You should probably fix that immediately and expected a similar response. So they could change they, they, they could changed change, the maths. Right. Yes. So they can change it. Yep. Yep. Uh, but the response I got uh, from my Twitter thread was, Thank- I just did about physics at mm-hmm. this time. Um, and they were like, thanks, Kat. Have you tried not doing physics and doing this other course that has two women? They said, Marie Curie. True, she was in investigating science. So they were like, do investigating science. It's mm-hmm. got Marie Curie. It's also got Rosaline Franklin. Mm-hmm. That's not her name. No, no, That's no. incorrect. Yep. And she's also not even in that syllabus. <laughs> So oh that was God. the response that I – that was my first response I got from New South Wales Education. Yep. Uh, and, and you know so, they were like, oh, God, there's got to be a woman here somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. Got oh, one. there's Ha-ha. one. Yeah. Spelt her name wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Total shame. Uh, and, yeah, she's not in any of them. So you learn of Watson and Crick, but yep. you don't learn of Rosalind Franklin. Yeah. A classic. Yeah. Um, that's that and that's – yeah. That's, yeah, it's that's, a, that's a standard. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and so I was like, that's not really the point here. Like the mm. point is that physics has an issue. Mm. Uh, investigating science also has an issue. It's very similar numbers to mm. physics, but at least they have a female. Also, it, the weather gets – I've forgotten her name. My brain just went blank. Barbara oh, McClintock? No, 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 Barbara McClintock. <laughs> no, I didn't know, didn't know her. But the, the person who discovered the expansion of the universe is a woman, and I've forgotten her name. Everyone thinks it's Hubble, and it's not Hubble. There's a paper came before hers. And it I've, isn't. And even I've forgotten her name. Oh, I know exactly who you're, you're talking so about. So annoying. And Hubble later was like, yeah, she did it. She did it. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but, but she was ridiculed. Yes. Shamelessly Oh, ridiculed. damn it. I'm going to put them in the show notes. I'm so sorry. I've forgotten her name. I'm, no, no, no. I'm Apologies doing it. Apologies on me. Also. Google it right in front of me. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'll just keep ranting Yeah, just keep talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, yeah that's right. Uh, so at the moment, I'm currently leading a campaign um, that looks at changing essentially all of the science courses in New South Wales to include women uh, and increase the representation um, and diversity of the representation. And uh, I've prepared a similar document that basically goes through, again, painstakingly, dot point by dot point. I looked at all the research that was done uh, by each woman, uh, by each scientist, and saw if it was a man or a woman. Uh, And most of the time, if it was a man, it was included. But whenever it was a woman, it was not included. So I've gone through painstakingly and found each of the places where you can just mention the woman 
for the work that's already included in the syllabus. So without even changing the content in any way, shape or form, just by putting the name of the woman next to the science that's already there, you can increase the representation to around 40%. And that doesn't doesn't seem unreasonable. No. I'm just going to have a quick rant here. Um, I I typed into Google, female astronomer universe expansion. Uh Naturally. And what did it bring up? Vera Rubin, who's not the... It's not her. She's she's incredible. She did a lot, but that wasn't what she did. That's not what she did. Because I was like, she did with galaxy rotation stuff. I know that. I know that. I was like, she's not the one. I was like, no, no, no. So even Google's like, oh, here's the woman you want. Here's the one. There's only the one woman. So it's, it's, her name was Henrietta Swan Levitt. That's it. Henrietta Swan Levitt. There you go. Yes. Henrietta Swan Levitt. One of the Harvard, uh, Harvard calculators. Yes. And, and yes. And yes. she, an American astronomer who established that the universe expanding was also made possible mm-hmm. by Levitt's groundbreaking research. Hubble uh, often, see Hubble. See Edwin. Uh, uh, yes. Hubble often, it's, well, just use full name. Edwin Hubble. He was, happened to be a dude. Yeah. Edwin Hubble often said that Levitt, oh, and use Levitt. That's good. Use Levitt. Yeah. Deserved the Nobel Prize for her work. There you go. There you go. Yep. So there you yep. go. It won Henrietta Swan Henrietta Levitt. Swan Levitt. You can put yes. that in a bloody dic- in a dictionary. I think I actually have her in my uh, <sighs> in my in my document. She's in here somewhere. Don't worry. Uh, yes, so she is. In different types of scientific investigations, good. I say that we should use examples to evaluate the objectives and data collected by uh, Henny Jump, Annie Jump Cannon, and Henrietta Swan Levitt in stellar classification. As there, well. you so there you go. It's so. And you've had a lot of pushback against this. Or, I have. And, and well, the more to point, it sounds like you've had a lot of people just desperately hoping you will go away. Uh, yeah, I've had NESA desperately, New South Wales Education Standards Authority, right. is hoping that I will go away. Mm-hmm. Um, shocker, I'm not gonna. <laughs> Don't underestimate a That's... PhD student's ability to procrastinate. <laughs> so, it's fine. She has a lot of intelligence yeah. and a lot of time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, not a lot of time. And, but and, I, I, and, not a lot of, of, and not a lot of money to spend on other exactly. things. Exactly. <laughs> yes, very true. Yes, I have no hobbies other it's, than yelling at people. I think it's a very dangerous thing to, to get someone who's obviously proven they're intelligent and driven enough to do a PhD <laughs> and then get in their goddamn way. <laughs> it seems like a stupid It's a, it's a bold move. It's a, it's Interesting like, tactic. Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's yes. like um, um, you better be better at chess and I think you are because otherwise you're going to get steamrolled. Yeah, I don't know basically. if people get steamrolled in chess, but yeah. I'm sure that's a move. Yeah, just knock it. Flip the ah. table. But yeah, so yes. but not... there has been a lot of pushback as well just online. Yeah. Uh, so oh, online. myself and a, and a previous colleague, so Tom Gordon, has also been working a lot with this uh, mm. behind the scenes as well. Thanks, Tom. You're amazing. Uh, and we wrote an article for The Conversation mm. basically in 2018 when we discovered this, right. uh, published it, and they had to shut down the comments because within four hours there was mentions of Maxwell's I don't know if you might have to bleep this butthole, and Einstein's again may have to bleep this penis. Right. Yep. Uh, context of oh well, what are we going to learn next about Maxwell's butthole? Oh, I see. Uh, right. I see. right. So yep. so hang on. Wait. What? So me saying, <laughs> hey, <laughs> we should probably mention some of the women. So Henry the Swan Levitt. Yeah. She, and she's, oh, what do you want? You also want to learn about Einstein's butthole? That doesn't. Mm. So then you have to justify why mentioning a woman in the science that she actually did is different from mentioning Maxwell's butthole. Yes. Yeah. What? Yeah. What's going on? Yes. And look, and look, look. There's a lot. There's a big, beautiful bell curve of humanity, mm-hmm. and some people are way down, and they need to be chlorinated there. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I, I'm not going to say forgive it, but I understand it. I can and, see where and, you're coming from. And, sure. And, and, and from the backgrounds, and, and I'm being very forgiving here. Blah blah blah. Yeah. But we're not talking about those people. We're not talking about the converse. The, the no. it, we're talking about people who who control the who's writing a textbook. Now they're not and talking they, about buttholes or penises. No. But 
but they're getting there. What they're saying they is we don't it. care. Yeah, exactly. They is base that, it on the syllabus and they think that the syllabus doesn't need to have women. And a lot of these people are teachers as well. Is it too much work for them? They're like, oh, God, we're not rewriting this. It's just too much work. Don't I work. don't care, to be honest. If it's too much work, <laughs> oh, whatever. You Good. can sell more. You've got to get the students to get the new one anyway. Yeah, yeah. You're going to get more money. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. It's not even changing that much. Like, I'm yeah. keeping the content the same. I even yeah. go around, I've, I've checked with a lot of teachers this whole campaign. I've wanted to make sure that anything that I'm trying to do, teachers are on board. I don't mm. want to make these changes and put the workload on the teacher. That's mm. not no. That's not fair. <laughs> teachers already have a really they rough really time do. of it. Really do. I don't want to make it worse. <laughs> but constantly checking in, teachers are always like, yeah, obviously. I yeah. always include the women anyway. Yeah. Like a lot of people have said that, which is fantastic. And other people have just been like, I had no idea. I just mm. didn't know. Uh, and so having it in the syllabus document, they're already teaching of the science. And they, they don't even have to go into this giant historical background of each woman. No. But just saying, this was done by so-and-so. Yep. And who, and she, who is she? Well, this thing called Google, go look her up. Yeah, exactly. If like, you're interested, go look go her up. Look that's up. fine. Yeah, yeah. well, you, yeah, it's, it's... That's, yeah, it's not even the main point. The main point is the science, but just so you know, this science was done by a woman. Well, yeah, it makes... Yeah. It's... I just... I am obviously flabbergasted that mm-hmm. this is not something that can't be fixed in two seconds flat. Mm-hmm. I don't understand the pushback. I mm-hmm. honestly don't get it. Yeah. I do not understand why it can't be changed. And listeners, wherever you are in the world, because I know you're around the world, if you have children or if you have nieces and nephews or friends with children... Look at the textbooks. Mm-hmm. Do, do it yourself. Do a count. Do a count and, and you're going to discover the same bloody thing. I will almost guarantee you. And you you can at me if you're wrong. In fact, <laughs> please do. I would love to know textbooks that do have a good balance. Because yeah, you can point at them. Exactly. I can say <laughs> use these ones instead. So that's at, um, so at Astro. At Astro underscore Cat Ross. We'll put it in the show notes. Thank you very much. Uh, so – if you if you look at your own textbooks, your your children's textbooks, mm. ones that you used in high school or whatever mm. it may be, have a look, count, and see how many men are mentioned and in what context they're mentioned. It are they just all- mentioned blankly with no reference or are they mentioned with a historical background? Mm. We know the person individually. Is it the scientist mm. or just like the name of a law, mm. which has also been a big pushback? Mm. Things are just named after men. It's yes. not their fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, well hmm. It's um well <laughs> years ago when I was at school, uh, the uh, there was I think my textbooks and mm-hmm. they they didn't have women. Yeah. I, I, physics textbooks didn't have one my woman. Physics textbooks didn't, didn't have one, one woman. <laughs> not, I don't I'm, think they had one woman in yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not I'm not that old, but I didn't have any. I think my chemistry what did obviously Marie Curie, but I don't think anyone else. I I think that I learned of Marie Curie, but only because my teachers were active at yes. including her. Yes. Yeah. Well, I had a I had a in, in my last year of high school, I had a female. Uh, chemistry teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a lot of my teachers were men, except in the in the literature areas, English, blah blah, and that mm-hmm. was all in women because gender. Yay! Uh, but we yeah. must stick to strict gender roles. Yeah. So, but that was yeah. That's that's hopefully changed now. That was twenty mm-hmm. something years ago. So mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm hoping, but it doesn't sound like it's changed that much. Yeah, not not as much as you would expect and hope. It surprises no. me. It, it shocks yeah. me and surprises me. I I feel sad about this when I was teaching, which was more than a decade ago now. That even I didn't notice it then. Mm-hmm. By the way, so you talking? But this is unconscious bias. I yes. I had yeah. literally gone through the entire syllabus many hundreds of times mm. and gone through yeah painstakingly dot point by dot point and I didn't notice until someone was like radioactivity mercury and mm. I was like whoa yeah. and and it was only as someone points it out which is why I can give New South Wales education the benefit of the doubt I entirely think that this syllabus is very similar to the last one they mm. had which was introduced in 2005 in terms of the science that you learn they've actually gotten mm. rid of a lot of the the contextualization in the background and they've really gone down stripped down to the physics mm. I think that's actually a really great move mm. but in doing so losing a lot of that historical background and context can make it hard for students to contextualize the information as well mm-hmm. um, but that can be mm. done by the teacher in the 
classroom. That's fine. Mm. I think that's all well and good. And the reason there isn't any women, I can just attribute, again, the last syllabus didn't have any women in it. It's just the unconscious bias Mm. propagating through. My issue is that they've now been aware of this issue for almost two years. Mm. I have been working tirelessly to get in contact with them and work with them on this issue Mm. and have been mostly met with silence, if not hostility. Mm. Uh, And that's where the problem comes into play. And you don't want to wait another 15 years. Exactly. It's being done now. And for us to, like, if we can introduce it for this time now, then that's a whole generation where we can test, did this actually work? It's a generation of students. It's a whole generation of students. We already know that things are bad for women in STEM. I've already Mm. talked about all the issues that women in STEM have. Mm. We know that the current system doesn't work. Mm. To continue doing it is just bad science. Mm. It's doing the same experiment where we know the result is negative. We can fix that. We can change things. We may not make it perfect, but we can make at least some attempt at changing things and then test, did that work? Was that not okay? Was it better? Was it worse? Mm. Are there other ways that we can improve on it? But we won't know until we actually address it. And if we're doing that change now, we should be doing the change for women in STEM as well. It's insane. It blows my mind. Mm -hmm. So what can our listeners do? Please, please, please head on to change.org slash include her. Change.org slash include her. Check the show notes. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm running a petition at the moment uh, that's calling on New South Wales Education to look at the changes that I've sent them, that's done the work for them, and actually review them and implement them. Uh, so please sign, share that, spread it as far as you can. You don't have to be an Australian uh, international listener. No, you listeners. can sign that from please, anywhere just in the say, world. Just be honest and don't you know sign it 800 times or something. Yes. Be honest and say you're one person signing it. It's important to change. So, yes, go have a look at that. Thank you so much. Uh, I also am looking for support from STEM organizations, teachers, schools, uh, even students. Uh, If you are interested, please get in contact with me uh, via the change.org or Twitter, whatever it may be, uh, and let me know. I'd love to get statements of support um, from organizations saying who you are and that you want to see these things changed. Mm -hmm. Even though it's an issue at school, if we're telling our students that STEM is only for men and it's a male endeavor, Mm -hmm. that propagates through to STEM industry and will be hindered in Australia's STEM careers. And around the world as well. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, Kat, it's been amazing chatting to you. Thank um, you. I, we, I, I want, I Are you want, angry? I am. Oh, good. No, no, I succeeded. Thank no, God. No, no, no. <laughs> and I think everyone should be angry about yes. it. And if you're not angry about it, why? And it's not me. That, as That's in, not a negative thing, ask, but look and see why, why. You, why yeah. you don't it, feel angry. It, it, it makes me annoyed. Uh, yeah. And it makes me annoyed because I know too many good female scientists, and I keep thinking to myself, if they didn't exist, then – We'd have less good science. We'd have a really bad time in science. It would <laughs> not be as good it, as it could be. It wouldn't be as good as it was. And, yeah. and you kind of go, so I don't see the downside. And then think of mm. how good it could be if we had this 50-50. Yeah. If we had yeah. no hindrances to women in STEM. Think how amazing yeah. STEM could be. Yeah. I, Windscreen wipers, invented by a woman. Oh, really? Kevlar, woman. There you go. All these cool Two things, things I use all the time. Women, yeah. I always Naturally. Say, I always wear my bulletproof vest. When I'm telling you, t- <laughs> well, you will now. No. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> That's out of wisdom. <laughs> I meant it too. Oh, God. Anyway, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so and, much for having me. And uh, we'll get you back in the future to talk more sciencey stuff. Always. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Good Lord, it's Catherine Ross. Already, <gasps> we were just talking like literally seconds ago. Well, quite a long. wild cat Ross appeared. <laughs> Why? I thought you'd finished saying everything you needed to say, but you have more oh. to say. Yes, believe it or not, I love to rant, and I have more <laughs> to rant about. Fantastic, oh. rant away, please. <laughs> 
So uh, I've been talking just this second about my campaign to increase women in the New South Wales syllabus. Mm -hmm. And amazingly, we've had so much support that it's actually started a dialogue with the New South Wales Minister for Education and Early Childhood Learning, Sarah Mitchell, and the Women in STEM ambassador, uh, Lisa Harvey-Smith. So uh, the three of us have actually met and talked about ways that we can improve this and ways that we can create a curriculum that doesn't just mention the women, but actively works to encourage female participation in STEM. Uh, so it's a huge step forward in the Fantastic. campaign. Fantastic. Well done. Congratulations. That's very cool. Thank you so much. So basically, it re just required finding the, the most powerful people in the education industry and shaking them by the throat until something happened. Basically, yes. And <laughs> now we've got huge support and I'm working with them and we're going to be creating such a wonderful direction for education in Australia, hopefully. So but it's not over, is it? It's not done. No. Everyone, no one needs to like calm down. We left the, we left the last conversation the being all angry and we're still maintaining the rage. Yes, we're still maintaining the rage, but more in a general sense that this is an issue that we're still working on, Fantastic. not at particular people. Okay. Uh, so now we're still going, still fighting, don't give up yet, uh, because this is just New South Wales. Mm. And uh, realistically, this should be a national issue. We should be discussing this on a national education level. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we can be working towards that. So we still need your support. We still need everyone to sign and share the petition and work together so that we can make this accessible to everyone, regardless of gender identity. Absolutely. Well done. Congratulations. And for people who are not, as you said, not in New South Wales, uh, basically, maybe just do what Kat does and yell at the people who need to be yelled at in your state. If you're not in Australia, maybe have a look at the textbooks of your children and your friends' children or your textbooks and uh, and see if you need to talk to your teachers and other people as well. This Give it a bit of the keys, yeah. yeah. That's right. Basically, it can be done, and Catherine Ross has proven that it can be done, ladies and gentlemen. It things can. Things can, can change. Even join me in uh, pledging to make sure that you include the women in your classes, your schools, your workspaces, whatever it may be. Um, I'm making the pledge to make sure that any teaching I do, I include women, and you can join me by doing that as well. Fantastic. I think everyone should do that immediately. Look, once again, thank you, Catherine Ross. You're amazing, and we'll check back to you in the future. Basically, either way, I hope it's, yes, everything's great, and now we've got at least 50% women being represented. If it's not, we'll start yelling at people again for you. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Thanks so much for having me back. Thanks once again to Cat Ross for discussing the issues women face in STEM. For the second part of the podcast, I wanted to focus on an unknown female scientist. Welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Space Junk herself, Dr. Alice Gorman. Hello, Alice. Hello, Greg. It's fantastic to hear you on the podcast again. I'm very delighted to get invited back on your outstanding science podcast. <laughs> well, now you can definitely get invited back once more. Look at that. That's how, that's how easy it is. <laughs> We're very easily swayed here at Smart Enough to Know Better. Now, we are here to talk today about the lost women of science. And I do believe you have an interesting one picked out. Yes. So uh, as I've been doing my research on various things, so generally about space exploration, but often about radio astronomy and kind of related science areas, I've noticed more and more the phenomenon, which many people have identified, that there's heaps of women involved in these areas. But often, you know, they just appear in the footnotes or they're mentioned in passing and then 
you don't find out any more about them as you go on to read the history of how all of these blokes did all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of got a little Word document that sits on my computer where I put the names of women I come across in these contexts with the idea that, you know, I'm going to come back to them and, and maybe do a bit more research and find out more about them. And I'm certainly not the only person doing this. There's, there's quite a lot of other women and other people in the sort of history heritage field who are, who are very interested in putting these women back into the story. But I came across quite an interesting one a little while ago. I looked up which international year 2020 is. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that 2020 is the International Year of Plant Health. Okay. Thought, That's quite interesting. Um, I'm going to maybe think about this in the context of the health of plants that go into space. Mm-hmm. And I went chasing some early documents on this to find out about some of the experiments in the 1950s and 60s where people were first starting to send seeds and plants um, up on balloons, on planes, and, of course, eventually uh, up on rockets like the V2. Mm-hmm. And one of the articles I came across had a fantastic table in which it listed the date, the vehicle that was used for the experiment, the outcomes and the people involved. So I was just sort of getting totally lost in this and finding out that onions were sent up into the stratosphere on balloons and what kind of seeds. And, of course, there were a whole bunch of animals um, and insects that were being sent up at this time as well. But part of this table had a section on human payloads. So people who had gone up in balloons or other high-altitude vehicles to kind of test the limits of the human body Mm. and to use themselves as actual experiments. And as I was scanning down this list, I saw a 1934 balloon flight in which the experimenters, the researchers, were Dr. and Mrs. Picard. (laughs) Picard, what's the name? (laughs) There's a name. And as it turns out, there's a connection as well. Oh, my goodness. Ooh. I know, right? So I thought, so who is Mrs. Picard? I've got to find out more about her. And when I started going into the background, what I discovered was that she was, in the 1930s, she was known as the first woman to get to space. Oh. And that she had piloted this massive spherical balloon and with her husband as the the um, co-experimenter, and that and they had reached the stratosphere. So that's not exactly what we would think of as space these days, but but I can explain that a bit further. Mm. So they've gone up in this balloon with their pet turtle uh, to <laughs> just see what happens to the to the human body. They had cosmic ray experiments. They had a whole bunch of stuff up in this balloon. So she was the first woman to get a spherical balloon license in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And she was, at, I think they got to 57,000 feet. Mm. So she was, she went the highest that any woman had ever been at that time. And many people considered this to be in space. Yes. Well, as, you, as you think, I can't remember her, um, uh, Valentina, I can't remember the name Valentina. of her. Ah, yes. That's the Russian lady, isn't it, who first was considered the first official? 
So she was the first woman to make an orbit of the Earth in ah. 1960. And so generally she's considered to be the first woman in space. But up until that time, Jeanette Picard had the record. She held the record for 29 years for, of being the woman who had wow. gone the height above the Earth. Mm. So, so when I started to find out more about her, and, and I suppose we can't really say that she was forgotten or hidden because she was actually very well known. What was astonishing to me as somebody who studies space exploration and who has a, a huge interest in finding out about these women, it was interesting to me that I'd never heard of her. So, you know, I've done a bit of research around Valentina Tereshkova's groundbreaking orbit of the Earth in 1963, and yet I'd, I'd still never heard of Jeanette Picard. Mm. So I just found this, you know, uh, such an interesting story. Do we know the name of the turtle? Is that, is that a turtle lost to time? We do know the name of the oh. turtle. <laughs> the turtle's name was Fleur de Lis. Oh, which is a very nice name for a turtle. It, I, wonder, uh, and then, I wonder if Fleur de Lis is still the, the the highest a turtle has ever gone. Have other turtles? We're getting very sidetracked very quickly here, but I'm now intrigued: is is have other turtles gone higher than Fleur de Lis? Hmm. I suspect they probably have. So huge numbers of different kinds of animals were sent into space. Okay. Um, over the years, so it, it wouldn't be too hard to find out if there had been a turtle who had, you know, actually gone into orbit or gone higher than. <laughs> <All> but <right. laughs> that's, that's <laughs> research maybe. for another time, maybe. Yeah, I mean that's a whole fascinating area to itself. <laughs> um, but so looking at her, her life, um, she was groundbreaking in many ways. So since she was a little kid, she also actually wanted to be a priest. And in, after she sort of uh, retired from her space interest, she was a NASA consultant for many years as well. So she decided she wanted to get ordained, and she was one of the first women to be ordained in the Anglican or Episcopal churches, I think they call it in the U.S. So, so her balloon escapades were not her only groundbreaking okay. work. Wow. Okay. Yes. Oh, so so yeah. Right. So she's one of the because women normally couldn't pass, couldn't be. Priests. I didn't even. There you go. But I, I guess that makes sense. I, my brain. Went, oh yeah. Are, you don't see a lot of female priests. Now you think about it. They're all sort. Yeah. Anyway. Side note. What I know about religion, you can put into a box. I think sometimes. But anyway. So she, yeah, she was a pioneer, and there were protests about it because the. Of course. Happy. Um, and she was 79 at the time she was oh. ordained, and ah. apparently she said oh, they they had to get um, retired bishops to do the ordination ceremony because there was a lot of opposition, and. One active bishop, you know, came along to express his displeasure, and apparently she said to him,、um, "You know, I'm old enough to have been doing your nappies, so like, <laughs> buddy."、Um, and so she was ordained. But so many interesting things about her. So her partner, her husband Jean Picard, was one of identical twins, and they came、mm-hmm. from a very well-known ballooning family. Jeanette's husband Jean was one of twin brothers. His brother Auguste had set a balloon altitude record、um, not so very long before, and this is a really interesting thing too. So, in the U.S., astronauts, for example, generally came from a test pilot background,、mm-hmm. whereas in Europe, astronauts and cosmonauts often came from 
um, parachuting or ballooning background. So there's this whole other kind of trajectory of space history that's centered around the balloon that you also often don't hear about. And many years ago when I first went to the Museum of Air and Space in Paris, this was something that really, really struck me. There's so much a greater emphasis on balloons there and you just get a whole different sense of the emergence of space exploration Mm. in the the pre-war and between the wars period. So that's something I find really, really interesting. Mm. The other fascinating thing is that so Jean Picard and his brother Auguste were identical twins mm. and Jeanette herself was one of identical twins. Ooh. Oh, don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> Making more identical twins. That's very spooky. I don't know why I, just, I find twins are spooky. I can't explain it. I don't understand why, but I just go, I, I, <laughs> I find them spooky. Well, you know, recently there's an, there's another pair of famous space twins, which is Scott mm. Kelly mm. and his brother, and a while ago they did an experiment um, where Scott Kelly went to the International Space Station for a year while Mark Kelly stayed on the ground so they could actually compare if anything happened if you are in space for a year. So there's this really kind of, um, you know, odd twins in space kind of theme and the Picard brothers and... Jeanette Picard and her sister uh, are kind of part of that tradition. So that's quite interesting to me as well. So you could test, once again, you can test one, see if anything bad happened to the one in space or when in the stratosphere and one that happened on the ground and test to see if they're different. Exactly. And that's what they did with Mark and Scott Kelly. I don't think this was a factor in Jean and Jeanette's um, research. I I wonder if the Kelly brothers then, I wonder if they... The one on the ground, Mark, I wonder if he got called Control. So from that moment on, he's just Control Kelly because he's the one that, that you said. <laughs> I just thought, you're Control now, just so we don't make a mistake. I wonder if he got that as a nickname. We might have Control Kelly. It's just a little really quirky, funny little fact, I guess, about this uh, this couple and their families. Mm. Now, when I first, when I discovered Jeanette, I was so excited and interested, I started tweeting about her. And then some other people got really excited and said, oh, is there a connection with uh, Jean-Luc Picard, who's a <laughs> Star Trek? Uh, and I've got, I'll confess right here, Greg, I'm not a Trekkie, so. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> a bunch of stuff I don't know. But people were saying, oh, my God, is is she she part of the how Jean-Luc Picard, the, the captain of the... The, the next generation the, enterprise, yes. Yes, yes. yes. And is now that, the star of his own TV show. Uh, he's just started two, with two episodes in at, at recording. So he's got his own TV show again, all about being an older man doing space stuff. So that clearly this was in the forefront of people's minds when I started talking about Jeanette. And... Then I discovered that Jean Roddenberry, in fact, had named the character of Jean-Luc Picard after Jean and Auguste. Oh, my goodness. So, so there is actually a connection. So this is where the name comes from. So their names are spelt with a double C, P-I-C-C-A-R-D, and Jean-Luc Picard, of course, is P-I-C-A-R-D. Mm, but mm. This was something, this was a deliberate decision on his part to allude to the ballooning exploits of these two brothers oh. in the 1930s. So what's interesting here is uh, Jeanette was left out of this. Oh, I mean, boo. 
Yes. As far as we know, like it's quite possible that the kind of received story um, is that it was the brothers and, and maybe he did actually know about her as well, but as the story has been retold, she's dropped out of it. So we'd have to do a bit more research to find out about that. But her role in this was so she there was some kind of world fair thing in Chicago in the 1930s and, and Jeanette and Jean were instrumental in designing this massive balloon called the Century of Progress, which is the one that they went up in. Mm-hmm. And he was designing all kinds of experiments to go on it. And, and she, in fact, she, he was a chemist and she had a master's degree in organic chemistry as well. So she oh, was definitely, okay. you know, involved in thinking about what these experiments would be. But he was going to be too busy with the experiments to actually pilot the balloon. So this was why she decided she needed to get her licence. And so she was, you know, an absolutely integral part of this project and the science that it did. And, you know, and also an accomplished balloon pilot. Hmm. A pretty extraordinary thing too, I think. For anyone at any period. It's not, I mean, one of those things of, I understand how the physics of it all work and yet I'm still not 100% comfortable getting into something which is basically feels like a tissue paper full of hot air. Uh, or in this case, hydrogen, I guess. We use hydrogen or helium or something back then. So there were so many risks, exactly as you say. Like th- these balloons were absolutely so flammable. <laughs> Good times. And when and when you when you're many kilometres above the surface of the Earth, you know the last thing you want, you, your your craft become incredibly flammable. It's uh, you got, I'm assuming they wouldn't have things like back in the backpacks, uh, parachutes to get away, all that sort of stuff. Like you you just be oh well we're stuffed. Like I just it, it was so dangerous, so dangerous. They- they did actually have parachutes, oh, and Jeanette, she didn't train in parachute jumping. <laughs> said, look, you know, if it doesn't work, you can have all the training if you like, if you like. Mm. but if it doesn't work, that training is not going to help you. So she was, she was very, <laughs> <laughs> very, I don't know, philosophical, very sanguine <laughs> about what might happen. That sounds a little bit like the... Uh, back in the day, back in the, the the grand age of sail, a lot of sailors didn't learn to swim because they felt that it made them work less hard in keeping the boat from sinking. Oh. <laughs> and it's, so you've got the whole, well, why learn to swim? If we work hard enough, this boat won't go down. And you're like, hmm, yeah, hmm. Yeah, well. <laughs> not, not really loving that as an approach, no. I have to say. No, no, not how, not how I do it, but, you know. I wasn't a sea captain in the 17th century, I guess, so that's fine. I suppose you can't, can't get into their heads to understand <laughs> how that really felt. <laughs> but another thing about this was that um, Jean and Jeanette had three children um, mm-hmm. at the time they made this flight, and one of their major sponsors, I think it was National Geographic, was very nervous about sending a mother up into a dangerous situation. So they refused to, to continue their sponsorship. They withdrew their sponsorship of the project. Um, so there was definitely, um, you know, the fact that Jean was also a father. Yes. Obviously, no difference at this time. It was it, They were concerned that the flight would go wrong and the death of a mother mm. would reflect very, very badly on them. So she definitely faced some resistance as well mm. in undertaking this flight. That's fair enough. Well, this is, um, I um, I discovered a couple of years ago that I'm the um, I guess 
you'd call them the godparent of my sister's elder sister's two small kids, and I and I hadn't really been asked about it. I was just suddenly told, uh, and, and not in a religious way, but as in if they died, then I was to, I was the one that they would like to look after the children. But she hadn't told me this, by the way. I found this out in a, in a random conversation, and oh. and I was like, oh. Oh, 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 uh, I don't have any children of my own. So I was like, oh, um, okay, thanks. Good to know. I'm glad, I'm glad you hadn't died. But then my rule was that my sister and my brother-in-law weren't allowed to fly together anymore. Like, because uh-huh. if the plane went down, I didn't even like them driving in the car together. But uh, if the plane went down, I didn't want both parents going down. Not because I'm a nice person, but because I didn't want to have to look after someone else's kids. Is that terrible? I'm a terrible person, I admit, so... That's fine. Well, but you know, it, it, it makes a certain amount of sense for, for both parents, or maybe inconvenient for them, but you know, it does does make a certain amount of sense. Next well, in any case, nothing happened to Jean, and their children are absolutely safe. And the the, the lovely kind of um, end of this story. Well, it's not really the end of the story, but after she died, one of her sons got to meet Valentina Tereshkova. Oh, wow. And he said to her, oh, no, I must be wrong. She she hadn't died, but she maybe was unable to attend whatever event this was. And he said to her, her son said to Valentina Cherishkova, you know, I bring you greetings from my mother, Jeanette Picard. Hmm. And Valentina was like, oh, you know, thank you. And he said, you may not have heard of her. So until you went into orbit, she held the record for the woman who had been the highest above the earth. Mm. And she considered to have been in space. And Valentina replied, oh, no, I know very well who your mother is, and I send her all my love, oh, so, my which goodness. I think is a, a beautiful story. It's, it, that is amazing. The fact that she knew, oh, my goodness, that's so great, two countries and two cultures, and obviously a woman, uh, Valentina had obviously done her research into people who'd, who'd worked before her. So that's, that's incredible. Well, they kind of, well they had because Valentina herself was a parachutist. She was recruited to be a cosmonaut because she belonged to a parachuting club. Oh. Um, because women in Russia in the Soviet Union were also not allowed to be pilots. Mm. So when they went looking for uh, a woman to send into space, they had to go and seek people with kind of allied skills, I guess. Mm-hmm. So they started looking at all of the parachute clubs. And it seems there were quite a few, you know, there were a lot of women who were into parachuting. Mm. So, so, so we have Valentina, who was clearly highly skilled in parachuting. And we have Jeanette, who basically said, bugger it, I'm not going to learn, I'm not going to train in parachuting because yeah. it'll be, <laughs> by the time I need it, it will be too late to have, you know. <laughs> Just put the backpack on, jump out, and see yep. what happens. What happens? Um, so I think that's quite. But I think I think uh, Valentina clearly felt an affinity with Jeanette because they had a had a similar background in that kind of way. It's amazing. Oh, this everything about this. I love the fact. I love hearing about Jeanette Picard. I love the fact that that um, Valentina Tereshkova. Oh, I've got to tell you the name. <laughs> Valentina Tereshkova. Tereshkova. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and then also the connection, to, of course, to the ridiculous TV show I love as well. This is all amazing. Everything about this is, is incredible. Thank you, Dr. Alice Gorman, for bringing this to me and letting people know about this amazing explorer and amazing woman and amazing human being in general, basically. I could not agree more. And I just enjoyed so much learning about 
this extraordinary woman who's kind of, I don't know, I kind of think of her as part of my personal science heritage now, I guess. Yeah, and someone we should all know, at least know, like many scientists, we should at least know in the footnotes and go, this person existed and they did incredible things. Exactly. Amazing. Thank you for your time, Dr. Alice Gorman, Dr. Space Junk herself. I'm very honoured that you could join me today. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about Hopefully, Jeanette first and maybe some more amazing women in the future. Oh, absolutely. You don't get away now. That's it. I've locked <laughs> you in forever now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Dr. Alice Gorman and Catherine Ross. But now we come to the most important part of the podcast where we answer the question that everyone has been asking, and that is... Who were the first turtles in space? That honour goes to two unnamed tortoises, so not technically turtles, but give me this one, please, who went on a modified Soyuz capsule called Zond 5 on the 14th of September, 1968. These two Russian steppe tortoises were put into a spacecraft and were blasted off to do a trip around the moon and then back to Earth. It took them six days and they splashed down in the Indian Ocean. They were both perfectly fine. So yes, turtles, tortoises, have been in space and they were Soviet. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. I hope that you will consider thinking about adding more female scientists to your repertoire of scientists you know. And when you do talk about scientists in your area of study or interest, you'll try and find one or two female scientists to mention. They are there and they have made major contributions. Till next time, dear listeners, goodbye. We're good. So I just realized there's a mower outside in the yard, so I just closed the door. Um, there's a mower? So... As in a giant three-meter-tall bird? No. <laughs> like a grass one. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. That's fine.